Now then, we're about to speak to my good friend Neil McKenzie. And as you would expect from the clean living Scott, I don't think he says one swear word. Now me, on the other hand, that's another story. You've been warned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Gas It Out. Uh, we've got uh, a few coming for you in quick succession. We hope, fingers crossed, because uh, I won't say we've been let down by a couple of people. That's not you've true. let me down. No, That's I, what's happened. I always, yeah, I'm always a let down. Guests, well, we know that, but when it's come to you sorting the guests out, you've been shit. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take that. You I'll t- have. Though, I'll take you? that. I'll take that on the chin. Yeah. 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 You know your problem. Go on. How long have we got? Yeah. No, you know your your problem is you're dealing with PR people. Dealing with PR people. Yeah. We could, but you know how it is. In, you, you know it is in MotoGP, don't you? Yeah, it's, it's like a bodyguard system, isn't it, that you get. But anyway, yeah, crap, we are going to be crap. speaking to people. We're hoping uh, very soon to be speaking to like the Frankie Morbidelli, Lucio Cicchinello should be coming. Danilo Petrucci has definitely said he's definitely going to do it. And, if you say Danilo Petrucci one more time, I'm and, literally, I'm going to break every rule. I'm driving up the M1 and I'm going to give you a slap. The thing is, you know, it's one of those where... <laughs> you have been saying that for like it's six weeks now. You'll go, oh, Ducati have said Petrucci will do, do us this week. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, but we love Danilo, and you know that if it was me and you, and we just spoke to him in the paddock, it was like, oh, it, it, just it, pop around it, the motorhome in a bit. Exactly, <laughs> it'd be seconds. But the fact that we're not there, well, we haven't got his those, mobile. So. I've got his mobile number, unfortunately. Anyway, yeah. uh, that's anyway. by the by. Uh, welcome to another episode. Uh, my name's Gavin Emmett. Uh, if you've got this far along and uh, haven't worked out who that nasal, horrible northern voice <laughs> is, uh, it is on, nasal. And on the other hand, and the uh, crackly and. Um, yeah, it was just annoying. Lancastrian voice on the other end is Neil Hodgson, who, of course, is a Burnley. world superbike champion and a British superbike champion and a British 125 champion. And just, oh, he's just a lovely guy. Just a lovely guy. You. Nobody ever said. <laughs> yeah, said especially, nobody especially, ever. Especially yeah. not Stalker fans. There's been a lot of clamour for Chris Walker. Hey, we are going to get him on, but I'm just loving the build up. Every week, um, Neil calls me and says, oh, should we do soccer this week? I went, no, no, no. I like to draw this out. I like the tension. It's, <laughs> like, it's, like, when tension. it's like when they try to decide who's won in uh, X Factor or anything like that. You've got to wait 20, 20 seconds. Well, I think this is waiting 20 months before we get him on, but we'll definitely get him oh, on because we'll get... that'll be fun if we do. Exactly. I know he's up for it. And uh, it'd, be just, it'd be funny to have a talk about that, that season, the 2000 British Superbike What season's that? Yeah, don't mention it much. No, it was a great year, so I'm looking forward to getting Stalker on. That will be very entertaining. How hey, are you anyway? Oh, go on. I'm good. Good news. Good news. What's that? You're not going to believe you, this, you, You're leaving BT. Yes! Yeah. Hey, we have a sponsor. Give over. What, do you reckon to that? No, no, big time now. now Seriously? We flirt, we've flirted a bit with some sponsorship, Oh, my we? God, well, I'm getting we, so you know, excited. Do I need to get really excited? Do I need to... I'll be really already, I'm already taking my T-shirt on, ready to put on the uh, team shirt. Yeah, yeah. well, you, you, you'll be taking something off. Oh, God. But you, hang on. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Right, so you, it's not that place was... on, the, on the A1 as you're coming up, that big adult <laughs> superstore, is it? <laughs> hey, every bloke listening to this knows exactly what you're talking about, by the way. <laughs> Everyone rub an X when they drive past there. Anyway, um, 
No, when we flirted with Swarfiga, obviously we talked, you know, we've talked to them. Well, we've not talked to them, anybody, but then people been a bit of social media. Then people haven't talked to our people. No, so there's no free hand uh, cleaner. Um, cotton gin, Dougie Lampkin, I'm not joking. My ex Dougie Lampkin knows cotton gin's arrived, but I know they haven't started making it yet, but anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I wish do you know my mate, Ed Warren? I do know Ed Warren, yeah. Yeah, Ed Warren. So Ed Warren, good mate of mine. He's good friends with Tommy Searle, the Lowe's twins. Um, he's got a great motocross track at his house. He's I got did, a flat I, track. I had a good day with uh, Ed when we were at the uh, Lowe's twins charity golf day last year. We had a good chat. Exactly. All round good guy, good friend of mine. Um, he texted me the other day and he went, uh, I'll send you your address. Um, I'll send you some kecks. And I vaguely remember Alex saying something that he'd got this new business venture where he's doing underpants. We've got an underpants sponsor, Gav. (laughs) (laughs) Do they do large? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know they do small because you send them me. There's something embarrassing about saying you're a small in underpants. It's so embarrassing, isn't it? So, yeah, you heard it here first. We're going big time, man. That is it. First major sponsor. Kecks are on board. And now this is when you sit back. You know, you sit back. Don't panic, Gav. We'll have (laughs) Apple. We'll have Microsoft. We'll have Amazon. They'll all be on. They'll all be on board. Brilliant. So there you go. Tell me you wearing some now. Hang on. I sent my address to him. I sent my address to him a while ago. The undies haven't shown up yet. So actually, is this another one of our uh, our maybe (laughs) sponsors? Sponsors gone wrong. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh well. So yeah, yeah good good news. Good oh, news. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to uh, to hear that uh, we are going, uh, going south, big. going south. <laughs> yeah, going big. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And, I'm so excited. Yeah. And also, since Sunday, I've not been. I don't go on Twitter because every time I go on Twitter, I literally, I had a look yesterday, and the first message was. Pretty much die, die, die. <laughs> what, what about what? Literally, I'm not even joking. It was like you know what he's talking about. What about Marquez? He only got a thirty second penalty. So, I'm like, oh no. Just to clarify, for those who didn't see uh, the latest instalment of Greatest Years, we were live on Sunday on BT Sport, and we're going through. We used to we were doing the best races. Now we're doing the best years in the history of the sport, and it came to 2015. Now the reason we've chosen it, apparently, according to a lot of people on Twitter, it's because we wanted to stir the pot. We weren't. It's because the clamour uh, for for people in general. Originally, we went for 92 because that was a lot of people wanted to see something from that era. Then uh, there was a request, wasn't there, uh, that uh, we did something from the modern era. And that was the one that was most popular. But it was one that most people were yeah. talking about. So we went to it and we went there. We went to Sepang 2015. And do you know what, Neil? From a neutral's point of view, um, oh, am I neutral? Well, anyway, from my point of view, you were quite balanced. You actually gave them both stick. Instead of absolving both of them, you said... Um, that uh, Mark was a little bit aggressive, but Valentino crossed the line. But earlier on, you said Mark had crossed, you know, and it was just completely yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could not. I was. I expect Vic was looking for the splinters in your ass all night because you were from <laughs> properly perched on top of the fence, weren't you? So no, but um, you, you're a completely balanced view, and there's still people who can't see balance. Yeah. And um, so, I, I like the lines of what What do you know? Yeah. What you're talking about. Yeah. And do you know what? I'm pretty crap at most things in life. You know that, Gav. But I've got a bit of an idea about motorcycle racing. 
and then the sort of people that's asking me, what do you know about it? I, I, you click on their profile and I don't know, my gut feeling says I'm not being big headed, but probably more than you. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. just gonna I'm just but, gonna throw that out but there. But you, you did know. you did race tractors. That that's that, that, that was, was funny. That was my favourite. That was my favourite. What was it? What was it? Can you remember what that tweet was? Because uh, I can't remember. Yeah. Something like that. And you, extractor, yeah. Exactly. Obviously, because you because you, you weren't on Twitter, um, I sent it to you. <laughs> you sent it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Hey, and you're just jealous or something. It's like just have a go at your uh, ego. Jealous? Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I'm still off Twitter. I'm, I'm keeping away from it because otherwise, you know, now if you listen to these podcasts, people know the the true side of me. I've got nice Neil and I've got grumpy Neil, and grumpy Neil wants to reply to everybody and wants to try and meet him somewhere in a service station. And, or talk it out face to face, which is. Oh, sorry, I, I thought really you were talking about the not. service station on the A1 again. Sorry, I didn't know what you were on about there. What you were offering him up. There he is. Um, we've got um, Neil McKenzie coming up now, um, who we both know well, but you particularly, because uh, you've got a business with him. Um, we won't go into uh, the door to door salesman job, uh, but um, you're, you're big pals, aren't you? The two of you off track, and um, you've always spent a lot of time together. You know his uh, wife, Jan, his kids well, don't you? Ah, well, he's my best mate in racing. You know, I've, I've been so lucky. I've got some very, very good friends that I've met through racing bikes, but I've known Neil properly since, I'd say, 93. I sort of worshipped him before then because I'd started road racing. Neil McKenzie was a factory 500cc, obviously the equivalent of MotoGP rider at the time. And it's one of them, you know, the famous stories, don't never meet your heroes, you'll be disappointed. Well, you know, obviously I've met Neil and I wasn't disappointed. He was, he's, he, Neil was what Neil is now. He was, even in the height of his fame, he was incredibly humble, totally mm. grounded. And do you know a what? normal, nice guy. You hear that from the people around him. Um, I looked at, um, I've seen other people talk about him before, Mick Doohan, um, who they came around about the same time. You know, and in, in yeah. a couple of seasons, I think Neil was ahead of Mick in the in the championship, and and he will say, yeah, just just he was a sort of he was the chap that they used to go out training together and they'd hang out together, you know, because he was the most normal person in the whole body. Wayne Gardner yeah. was a bit of a slight. Wayne Gardner was a bit of he's he was too nice. He was too nice. Maybe that was why he didn't ever win a Grand Prix. I think that's a little bit harsh with the caliber of riders around. But the point still stands that he has zero ego, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's just an all-round good guy, and what an incredible career! I mean, you, we can always focus on the negative side of people's career, going, you, "Oh, you maybe could have done more. You might, you could have done this." I've never once thought about Neil McKenzie's career, thinking no. it, it didn't quite happen. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, you, and then, obviously, after after career. all the Grand Prix racing um, was done, he went back to the British Championship and won it three times in a row. Yeah, and, and absolutely dominated and showed his class. Mm. You know, he, he really did. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be his teammate in 2000. So it was nice to... Was that, his last, was that his last year? Yeah, well, imagine. He, he wasn't going to retire. He ended up teammates for me and he thought, I'm just so bored of racing now. I need to do something else. Just get this idiot away from me. Because I talked him to death, as you can imagine. Because back then, it was a bit different, right? And you did... You would always get changed in the same area in the back of the team truck, you know. So you spent a lot of time together. So uh, I'm joking. We always got on, and he helped me a lot because it was a big pressure pressure year for me. Neil was at the end of his career. We're at complete different points in our career, and 
And he did what you'd expect Neil to do, and he was selflessly helping me more than he'll ever know. Cause, but he's always done that throughout his career. He's helped me so much. We'll talk about it when we get him on, because he helped me right at the beginning. That I'd, I'd like to bring that up. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, let's have a word with the uh, Scottish motorcycle legend that is Neil McKenzie. Two seconds. Calling Neil McKenzie. Uh, I think Taz set this up. Oh, is, is, is Taz sorted it? So that should be Neil yeah. on the other end, if I'm lucky. Neil, I'm you here. There? you're there. Here he is. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Very well. Good to hear you, actually. Good to hear from you. How's uh, how's everything uh, down where you are and the boys? Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Fit and healthy and just kind of bit of a routine every week. A few drinks at the weekend and... I bet you've been, you've got, because out the back, you've got a little bit you can ride as well, haven't you? Yeah, I've got a little, yeah, it's all pretty safe, little flat track thing, but we just got to be be careful. But yeah, we've got a little bit of space to do stuff. Oh, that's nice. Um, I'm sorry to say that Neil Hodgson is also on the call, so uh, I well, apologise about that. Yeah. It's, it's never yeah. a perfect world, is it? <laughs> no. I mean, you win some, you lose some. I'll tell you what, Neil, without sounding cheesy, I'm missing my old mate. It's uh, we normally see a lot of each other, don't we? So yeah, we been... do. And considering how often we do see each other, never really any bad words. We seem to get along, so that's always a good test of a relationship. Yeah. Well, that's not what Jan keeps telling me when I no, leave the room. That's a different story you know, altogether. That, 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 yeah. That's a different story altogether. Sounding oh, off, I, sounding off in the uh, when you when he's left when he's left and he's gone home, giving yeah. him the shit that he deserves. Um, yeah. Go on, Neil. You're about to jump in. Sorry, apologies. No, it's just it's just funny because we've we've known each other for so long. It's such a long time if you think. Like, say it's yeah. early nineties. Like nineteen ninety three was the first time I really got to know Neil, and I I'd moved up to to do Grand Prix racing, racing one two fives, and Neil was a factory five hundred rider at the time, and I can just remember the first time going round to like Neil's motorhome and being invited in and meeting Jan and being so nervous. It just seems. <laughs> It, it it seems like a lifetime ago, but I'll I'll never forget how welcoming you were and kind to me and making me feel like a part of the family. And that's before the was Taylor born then. I don't even know if he was. Uh, no, because I think uh, yeah, ninety three. Taylor was born February ninety three. So yeah, so he would be yeah, he would be young. But yeah, you were no threat or competition at that point. So no, no problem at all. Happy, <laughs> happy to be your friend. Happy to be your friend. I think just sort of yeah. Fast forward a little bit. The only time was actually when we become teammates, and then you naturally distance yourself when you've got a, a rival. I mean, we didn't ever fall out, but uh, that's just normal in any sport. We just had to kind of give each other a bit of space, and that would be the only the only time when there was any. Oh no, we had tension. We did have tension at Knock Hill that year. Do you remember that? That was actually yeah. we we fell out that year. Shall I tell the story? Yeah, was that when well, you were on the same team or? No, that was, that was actually yeah. the year before yeah. because I was on the Virgin Yamaha that year. That was the year before and that was your first time at Knock Hill on a superbike and uh, you can tell the story because it is quite amusing. Well, I was told off my team manager, we, we got to Knock Hill, it's 1999. I'd not been there, well, I'd not ridden a superbike there. I'd only ridden a 125 round there in 1992. And my team manager, Colin Wright, who you've heard about before on this podcast, said, <laughs> follow Mackenzie. This was like free practice one. Follow Mackenzie. That's all you've got to do. He's God round here. <laughs> all right, no problem. So, like, I'm putting my helmet on. I'm about to go down pit lane. He's like, wait, wait, dead serious. Neil Mackenzie goes past. 
So poof, I'm on the back of Neil. And Neil knows exactly what I'm doing straight away because I'm not even sneaky about it. It's too obvious. So Neil does what a lot of riders would do. He's, they'd roll the throttle off and think, piss off, I'm not showing you around, mate. F- figure this out yourself. So Neil slows down, so I slow down. So Neil slows down a little bit more, so I slow down a little bit more. So Neil gets starting to get angry, which is not like Neil. So Neil comes to a stop. Bear in mind, imagine if you did this now, they'd go mad. You'd be getting... You're getting fines and all sorts. Well, this has happened so, in qualifying in MotoGP recently, hasn't it? But still, yeah, not, well, not yeah. unlike, yeah, not unlike that. No, exactly. So, so Neil stops on the track, pulls off the racing line. So I, I pull up behind him. At this point, he's like giving me like waving his arms. <laughs> you can imagine. So then he sets off really fast, trying to go fast. So I'm holding my breath, trying to hang on with him for a few corners. Then he rolls off. You can picture the scene. So he comes into pit lane. He doesn't even do a flying lap. So I go into pit lane. He parks up. I park up. Oh, my God, he was not happy. Anyway, he went back out of pit lane. I follow him again. And all I was doing was basically doing what my boss had told me to do, Colin Wright. I didn't want to get in trouble because I'd probably get fined off him. But uh, you weren't happy then, Neil. I wasn't. And it was it was weird because, yeah, I was. I just thought, what is he doing? And especially when I stopped, I thought, well, you. I was actually being stupid then, stopping. What are you doing? You've lost the plot as well. And the coming into pit lane thing, what I basically did when I came into pit lane, I stopped to see my team manager and I basically just took all the stress out of me and gave it to him I said I don't know what's going on here but can you just sort it out he obviously saw what was going on on track so I left him to sort it out with Colin Wright Colin Wright and Rob Mack had a argy badge in the pit lane while we got on with our jobs out on track and and yeah apart from that one moment I guess that was really the only the only little bit of frost that's that really moment track. yeah hey Gav it's the- I didn't learn anything. He still smoked me anyway. Absolutely destroyed me that weekend. <laughs> so it was, my plan never worked out anyway. Hey, that must have been great for you though, Neil, when you were racing at Knockhill to, to race back in Scotland because uh, not, not yeah, many opportunities, 100%, 100%. basically. And and a lot like uh, my years in GPs coming 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 home or coming to your home Grand Prix or your home BSB round, a lot of riders actually freeze and get a bit stressed and don't like it because it's it's um there's extra pressure but i was the opposite i really enjoy going home i love donington and i love knock hill for grand prix and bsb and and i just enjoyed riding there and i kind of rose to the occasion rather than going the other way what happens at your your especially your home grand prix is that you're inundated with everyone wanting a little bit piece of the action and stuff needs to be done which is understandable for sponsors and teams so when you get away from that and get in the bike it's like being set free you get out in the bike on the track doing your job and that is just it's just a breath of fresh air it's so nice to get out in the bike because the stuff behind the scenes is quite hectic but i never had a problem uh, and yeah you're right knock hill was brilliant because lots of friends and family inundated with long lost relations looking for tickets and passes of course standard but, standard uh yeah relations that you've never seen or heard of before but that's all right uh, everybody shows up and and we have a good time and and luckily i've got a fantastic relationship with not kill so um they would help me and still do with anything i needed so it was yeah good all good all round combination and you mentioned actually the british grand prix coming back when you were a grand prix rider it was a it was a tough right era, a tough crowd anyway. But there were a couple of times you were close. You actually were close to winning that. No Britain's ever won it, I don't think, the British Grand Prix, you know, when it's been off, off the island. So you were uh, close a couple of occasions, weren't you? Yeah, not, yeah, and always won the MotoGP. And, it, yeah, I, I must admit, it was never... Okay, 
as much as I would dreamt about winning it, I, I never really went there realistically thinking, yeah, I'm going to win it this weekend. But you just go and give it your best as, as you always do. And I loved Donington. I loved coming home. So that, and I loved the bikes I was on. And yeah, I had a few good runs there. I managed to lead for a little bit in 1989. Um, I was just doing my stuff really, but there's lots of people that were there that, that year and still remind me that it was a great atmosphere. Which is the one where, you, where you, you got your Pip Fogarty to the podium? Well, yeah, then that was, so I finished fourth in 89, which is great. I, I led for a bit and I was second for a long time, but I actually ended up fourth behind Lawson, Schwartz and Rainey. And then I got another chance in 1993. Uh, there was a couple went down on the first lap, Barros and doing and mm. Schwantz, so it kind of opened up a big hole in, in the race, really. Um, I used, I, I had made my traditional bad start, so I was kind of charging through. And Foggy got a, a one-off ride on the Kajiva that year, and Kajiva yeah. is actually a decent bike. He got a blinding start, as he did, so he was, he was close to the front, but I managed to catch him last six or seven laps um had a bit of argy-bargy with him backwards and forwards and then it all came down to the last corner and uh i could tell going in there he was flapping whether that was running out of fuel or he got his gears mixed up oh we'll never know but as we came out i was fourth and kind of right on his tail his bike didn't drive out the last corner and i just it was just the most amazing feeling I just bet. to get over the line and, and I knew I was third and it, I just felt like I'd been close a few times getting on the podium so it was even if it was a little bit of a lucky one I still uh, wanted to take it and, and partied hard that night as I always did and, and enjoyed every minute so very very fortunate to have had a podium at my home Grand Prix. I, I bet you did and, and you mentioned there just some of the names you mentioned Fogarty but before that you know you're talking about people on the podium the likes of Lawson and Schwantz and Duans yeah. and whatever it was a tough crowd and it was uh, an era of egos wasn't it and everyone that you I've ever heard speak about you Neil and you can blush at this all you like have said that you never had one and you were actually the one person that got on generally with everybody is that fair to say that it was an era of egos and and, you know, yeah, you... I did, and maybe that maybe I would have been more successful if I had been a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more selfish. I don't know, but I I enjoyed my whole time in Grand Prix. I had a great time. It was an amazing year. I didn't realise at the time, but it, it was special. But the depth of talent was was incredible. You just mentioned Lawson and Rainey. Well, there's seven world five hundred mm. world championships between them. Christian Saren was in there most weekends. Gardner, Schwantz, there's more world champions. So, and a good weekend. And a lot of the time I was fourth and fifth, and I was a strong fourth and fifth rider, but there's so many world champions and Grand Prix winners in front of you. But that was the way it was, and I wouldn't want it any other way, but it was, it was definitely a good era. How, how on earth did you get into the fact, isn't there a story about you going over to Japan and riding Freddie Spencer's bike or something? And I can't, I can't, what yeah. was the story around that? There's something around how you actually got a ride in the first place. Ridiculous, really. I I got a, I got an opportunity. I was riding in 250 GPs on the, on with the Silverstone Armstrong team. Silverstone supported me back then, and uh, I got an opportunity to ride the Skull Bandits Suzuki at uh, Silverstone. So I had a one-off ride there. Finished seventh, which was I thought was okay. I wasn't ecstatic, but I got a little bit of attention. And then I got another chance in Mizano with the same bike and the same team. And I, I qualified third in Mizano on the front row. Again, Lawson and Gardner, I think, were alongside me. And uh, it's like, what, what am I doing here? Not unlike Neil Hodgson did yeah. in Argentina. And I, 
and that was what got some attention. I was no one had heard of me. In some ways, that's a good thing because you've suddenly burst onto the scene. It's a mm. new name. It must be a little bit special. I had no clue why I managed to do that, but anyway, I did. And Earth uh, Kanemoto, who was uh, looking after Freddie Spencer at the time, invited me. They were looking for a rider for the next year, and he invited me to go to Japan and test, um, which I did. So, and it was Freddie's bikes that he rolled out, and I went to Suzuka, never seen the place before, and I thought I knew, I knew this was my chance, and if I could somehow stay on the bike and do a reasonable performance, I might have a chance. And I did I had a day's testing there, and went to Narita Airport with an HRC contract in my pocket, and. That was that, and it, it was it happened that quick. It was just ridiculous. Amazing. Right place at the right time, and uh, I, I got home thinking, "What the heck's happened here?" It was just ridiculous. <laughs> but there you go. That was how it happened. What was that, four Neil? Or five years before, I was digging holes for the electricity board. Amazing. Neil, which which was the story? I can't remember what year it was where you ended up in a negotiation, and the, about a contract, and you thought you were talking US dollars. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, they ended up agreeing it in pounds, and you were like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" Like, oh, well, it was um, it was actually my leather contract. The, that was the, it. Uh, first year I was with Dainese, and the end of the that first year I was in Japan doing an international race at Fuji, I think. And RS Taichi asked for a meeting, and I, I had no manager. I just kind of winged it myself. I never really knew what it was worth, or but I was I was always happy with what I got because it was definitely more than working for. Scottish power. So <laughs> we we sat down and I I'd been paid something which was ridiculous. I even I was been paid twenty five or thirty thousand US dollars by Dainese for wearing leathers that year, which was just mental money. I thought nothing compared to what the likes of Gardner and Lawson were on, but for me it was just amazing. So Taichi sat. Mr. Taichi come along, Mr. Iwata from Taichi, and said, well, what would you need, Neil-san? How much money? And I thought, well, I'm just going to go mental, and I'll ask for a double, which would be 50,000 US dollars. So I said, ah, oh, Mr. I probably need 50. I started with 50, and he says, ah, 50,000 UK pounds, which was about double the dollar rate. <laughs> and I said, yeah. He said, I don't have to be a two-year deal then. And I went, oh, go on then. So, <laughs> <laughs> I got twice as much for one in two years. And uh, he said, I was so happy, so happy. So I was obviously totally undervalued myself all the time. But it was just, it was ridiculous. So that's uh, that was a Taichi story, which was, was amazing. What what was it like then? Um, just hearing you talk about that, not not managing yourself and so on. But what was it like being, one, being a British rider in that era? After, you know, it was the post, you know, we're talking mid, mid 80s and then, and then on through where there's almost, I wouldn't say there wasn't a paucity of, of talent, but just getting to the top, it was dominated by the Americans yeah. uh, and had been since, you know, Kenny Roberts had taken over and Barry Sheen, dominated by the Americans. The Australians were on, on, on the way as well with Gardner and, and Doohan. What was it like being a Brit in that championship, which up until 10 years before had been dominated by Brits or had had Brits always at the front? Yeah, well, it- it was okay. I mean, the Americans and the Australians were really friendly. I mean, obviously very competitive, but they were quite welcoming. Rob Mack had been there a few years before mm. me, so he introduced me to everyone. And and I think like any mates, once we got to Europe, we had a few fairly big nights in their motorhomes and getting drunk and on a Sunday night. And that kind of breaks the ice. And once they kind of 
barriers were down a little bit and they understood I was just a bit of a nutcase that liked a Bacardi and Coke and liked to party and I was pretty harmless. We became good friends, um, kept their distance, raced weekends, but then win, lose or draw, we'd definitely uh, spend time in between races and party on a Sunday night. Some become more friendly than others, became good friends with Mick Doon, Kevin Schwantz and, and the others remained friends. Wayne Gardner was Wayne Gardner is Wayne Gardner, but he was good to me in the early years as well. Um, and they were they were they're normal guys. And what I didn't realise because they they at one point they had all been my heroes before I was even racing. But once you get to know them, you realise they all started out life as scruffy kids riding round fields, riding dirt track on a Friday night in America. And they just they're just bike enthusiasts that love to race and. Um, they're just normal guys that love their bikes and they're racing and that was I guess when you're looking from the outside you think there's some kind of demigods but they're actually just regular guys that love motorbikes and Neil out of that group you know the the, the riders you're talking about who was the biggest partier well they all had the, the moments I mean Randy Randy liked a few beers he kind of <laughs> went through a phase of partying hard um, Schwantz didn't know when he was, he would just, yeah, he didn't really know when to stop. They all, they all liked a few drinks, and I introduced them to a few drinks they hadn't seen before, and they quite, they quite liked that as well. Um, well, you weren't taking book fast over, were you? <laughs> no, no, but um, I introduced them to Bacardi and Coke and Baileys. They'd never really had their Baileys before, and all the manly make, drinks. Uh, Oh my god! That, that, I, on my on the quick fire round, I've got a question about that. Yeah. You have all, what is it about you and your incredibly manly drinks, Neil? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Well, yeah, I didn't, yeah. It, there is nothing worse than going to a bar with Neil and you walk up to the bar and go, "What are you having?" And he'll go, "Yeah." He'll go. Uh, he looks at me because he knows already he's going to disappoint me, mate. And he'll go, "Half oh, a lager and lime." And yeah. I'll go, "No, I'm not ordering yeah. that." Then he'll go, glass of white wine. No. So what's, <laughs> so what's worse, Audrey, is it uh, going for a drink then with, with uh, Neil Matt or is it with, going with uh, Sam and asking for an amaretto and Coke, Sam yeah. Lowe's? Or we've had uh, Johnny Ray with his, uh, what was he having? An espresso martini. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like an espresso martini. Though. Yeah, they're, right. yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're socially acceptable nowadays, but not when... Two men go to the bar and Neil orders a Bailey's <laughs> for his first drink. I'm like, come on, mate. Come on. Oh, God. It's so all, all these fun. guys, they, they, I don't, they'd like to drink, but they never got stupid or out of control or aggressive or anything. It was just a nice a nice place to be. They were always got in a nice place. There was never any aggression or madness. So. Was, there, was, Neil, was there anyone then? Because obviously nowadays trying to find a rider who drinks is... Is hard because most yeah. of them are big athletes, teetotals, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, was there anyone doing that back then? Does that make sense? Like, was there anyone who was booking the the trend and? Not really. They all. I mean, behind the scenes, they all they all rode a lot off road. Uh, didn't do. Not many of them did the hardcore gym stuff, but they were they were riding, so they were bike fit and mm. aerobically fit and strong and lean and sensible diets and all of that when the racing was on, and they just didn't mind to having a few beers on a, on Sunday night. Um, I guess the guy that started to take it to a new level was Mick Doon because he he picked up on it and he didn't do a lot of training when he first showed up, but we started training a bit together and then he got real serious uh, in the off seasons because it was summer in Australia. He'd go back to 
Queensland and trained with triathletes, and he definitely took it to mm. a, a ridiculous level. Um, so he was he was super fit, and and then all sort of one rider is doing that then the others are competition they need to have a look at what they can do to be at least the best or a little bit better so it took off around that time so early 90s a quick neil a question i've never asked you so that period we're talking about that's the golden era of the 500 cc period for me anyway and it's that's yeah. what's talked about a lot by a lot of people so you're out there you're mixing it week in week out with the absolute legends of our sports who or was there a standout? It's the one rider you got, Neil. This, you know, Lawson was the best, definitely because. Or yeah. were they? Were they all? They all individually had the days. Because, like, like you've already mentioned, between them, there's so many world titles. So I think we all yeah. can picture so many great races from them all. Who was the standout? Well, they're, they're so they're all so impressive for a different reason. Lawson, I guess, winning four world titles on different makes of machinery that kind of gives him definitely puts him up there. But also, he won his home Grand Prix. He won Daytona. He won the eight hour. He just he just ticked all the boxes. So he's he's definitely up there. But out on track, he's he was called Steady Eddie, and he was always going fast, but never looked like he was spectacular. And sometimes we like we kind of look up to riders that are a bit more spectacular, maybe likes of Schwantz, who only won world champ one world championship, but deserve deserve more. Um Wayne Rainey three back to back as well. Wayne was here and and leading leading the fourth world championship when he got injured. So I mean he's he's up there as well. Um before that, a little bit before that, Freddie Spencer and I raced with Freddie quite a lot. He could do things that no one else could do as well. Um, like guess, what? No, with Freddie, because I've heard Keith Ewan talks about Freddie a lot. Yeah, I've so, heard yeah, that from a lot of people. They'll sort of yeah, have same, it, put him in the, the sort of mould of um, just this mercurial kind of talent. A bit Casey Stone, I've heard some people say. Not, I don't mean in terms of yeah, riding style, I just mean in this mercurial talent that just does things that you're not expecting. That's right. Just, just. I mean, he was the first to start squaring off corners, like running and then stand the bike up, square corners off, and flat track style, really. So, a lot like Mark Marquez does now. Obviously, not with any elbow scraping or anything, but he understood that, and and he would never do an aggressive pass. I don't think he did an aggressive pass in his career. He was so smart and clever at sussing out how to get past riders, whether it was kind of sacrificing a bit of time in the way into corner square and the corner off and getting past them on, on the next straight. He, he didn't have to do any aggressive barging riders off the track to get the results or win races. He was just, he, he, he just was that little bit different. He just had different feel and different strategies and different riding style. And he was just able to do what he wanted with the bike or as and when he had to really, whether that was pushing the front or sliding out a corner or outbreaking someone, he was just he just had all the tools in his toolbox really. He didn't have one set riding style. But you sometimes watch him. I remember sitting on a motorhome roof once watching him at Yugoslavia and he'd go down the back straight and the wind he'd have a tailwind and then watching the I'd be watching the flags and then he'd come up the front straight and the tailwind would be behind him again. It was almost like he had God on his bike blowing him around the track. It was just ridiculous. But um he, Well he, he, he turned he did, to God though, didn't he? He actually wanted at one point. Well yeah, I've asked him about that. He said he he had a, a Southern Baptist church in his back garden but he actually never went in there but he was he was a as far as he was concerned he was a clean living christian and he had a christian way of life but he wasn't 
very, very religious. I think also in a very economical riding style, physically, he was never sweating or tired. And obviously he won the two championships uh, in one year, which mm. is just phenomenal. Physical, an, an, an amazing physical challenge and achievement. And uh, that was the other thing. He was he was never he was never uh, he was never big into training. Just liked to ride, um, but a really economical riding style. We have this tendency, and and we've done it. Obviously, you you I don't know whether you saw the '92. We did the Greatest Years program. Unfortunately, we didn't have your Spanish yeah. podium there that year. Unfortunately, sorry about that. Um, um, but we, we you know we we tend to mythologize. Uh, mythologize i don't know what the word is something around around that era though don't we as we say we call it the golden era but you're around the current paddock aren't you you're there all the time we see you a lot you work with the uh, red bull yeah. rookies a fair bit and you, you've been involved in that quite a while and you've been around the paddock now so in terms of how the sport is and we get some great racing some fantastic racing now um there were great days in some ways, but in other ways, do you think there have been improvements or vice versa? Does that make sense? Are we in a golden era now as well? Oh, very much so. I think there's no question. The last four or five years have been been a golden era, and the, and a lot of and the big reason is they've got the rules right. The bikes are so close in the 500 era. There was so such a widespread of uh, performance on machines and tires, and now we've got one tire rule. The bikes are all very close technically performance wise so that means the times are really close so I think from that respect then it, it's much better because everyone's got a fighting chance still the very best riders that are running at the front but the the closeness of it for me is just just brilliant because we see how close they are every weekend in qualifying and after race finishes and for me that's that's the greatest thing And but it is now down to the riders to to just find an extra hundredth or an extra tenth of a second to get the job done on a weekend you still love it don't you you still love it and you're still obviously involved with your your lads in in yeah, uh, yeah. who are both in british superbikes or or wanted to this year so far but um but you, you still love it don't you i, I always get oh, yeah, that feeling yeah. that you do yeah yeah just that and i forgot i didn't finish off the last question really because we, when you said the 92 season michael doing i guess out of everyone, it's a shame he didn't have to race these guys in the latter part of his career because he just obviously won five championships. But Mick doing right up there with every one of them, and any bike, any track, any condition, he could get the job done as well. And obviously his his career stats speak for themselves. But yeah, still love it. Still love being around it, uh, whether it's with the boys or in BSB at the Red Bull. Rookies MotoGP Cup. It's just, uh, it's just what we do, and love every second of it. I know you get asked this question a lot. Tell us about the lads. You know, they're both <laughs> now racing in British Superbikes. Obviously, when yeah. hopefully when when some racing happens, like I said, I know you've been asked this question before. How do you cope with that as an ex-racer yourself? Clearly, you know the dangers. You know what it feels like. And yeah. now both your lads are at the top of their game, at the top of BSB. What's it? What's it like? What's your average weekend like? It must be stressful. It is. I've, I've got. A, I wear a. I wear a Garmin watch, which has got a heart rate monitor on it, and it, and it's just ridiculous sitting in a chair watching them. I can have like the same heart rate that I will when I'm sort of running five k's on a park run on a Saturday morning. It's just ridiculous, and that's sitting still. Um, it's. Yeah, it doesn't get any easier. Uh, I, I. They're their own men now. They've got great teams around them. They've got great people around them, and and my job is done as far as. Uh, uh, their career goes but you can't you, you're on every 
you're on the bike every corner, every lap with both of them. And it's, it is double. It's not just the same because they're both in the same race. It is double. But being a dad that's raced is sometimes more difficult because you understand too much. Mm. You can feel it and you can see what, what other, whether they're racing, what they're thinking about, the moments they're having, the crashes they're having. You know exactly what it feels like, what they're going through, whether it's emotionally or physical pain or or disappointment or 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 joy i guess is is the, the icing on the cake um whereas parents uh, that that maybe haven't been racing or or done it are are oblivious to that in some ways i'm quite jealous and quite envious because they, they i just feel i feel everything so uh but I, again wouldn't swap it for the world you're looking for that little bit of that drug, that little bit of icing on the cake on a on a Sunday evening when they've had a, a good weekend, um, and and as we know, in but racing, how does it work? Yeah, how, how does it work when one of them's had a good result and the other hasn't? You know <laughs> oh, what I mean? Because yeah, you're like, that, that's that is, tough, that, isn't that's, it? Yeah, it's never a perfect weekend or a perfect day because they uh, they don't both win every weekend. So so you. As much as if Taron wins a BSB race and, and Taylor finished third in a stock down race or he, he fell off, then then you feel for the the one that's had the, the worst weekend. I, I Someone wrote something. It was actually a woman I was reading. She says, you can only ever be as happy as your least happy kid. <laughs> and that's so true with me in racing because you, if, if Taz wins, it's amazing. Or Taylor wins and Taz falls off, then it just takes the edge off it. So you actually go home okay and that there's never any there's never any problem or anyone's upset or anything but you just have that little bit of disappointment but that's just the nature I'm just I'm worried Neil Audrey one second I'm I, I, just about that I'm I'm worried less about Neil than I'm about Jan <laughs> long suffering yeah. Jan oh, yeah. well, she's she is, she's much better place she she understands that she's been through the whole thing yeah. with me but she is uh, I, I'm not a excitable person but she is a lot more calm and logical and, and thinks things through and sees it all as it is so she's much more calm in a weekend whereas I'm high as a kite one minute and shoot myself the next so, uh, <laughs> but I don't show that you wouldn't know that but um, yeah, that's what it's like you hide it well yeah. do you find yourself though finding it hard to control the motocross dad in you and for those people that don't know what that means a stereotypical schoolboy motocross dad is a frustrated dad who's angry at the kids, running yeah. around like a like like a madman. Yeah. And we, we we see it a lot with a lot with parents throughout yeah. my career, throughout every, you know most riders' careers. You, you witness it. Do you yeah. do you have the motocross dad moments yourself where you've got well, to have a word yeah. with yourself? Well, I, I think I got I got rid of them early in their the boys' careers, but I was also lucky because I've seen a lot of that before mine started racing. So I was I was I kept telling myself. If they start racing, just remember not to be stupid like that. So <laughs> we've both I've had moments with them both in the early years, the first and the second years they were racing, and I've had to have a chat with myself, and they've actually had a chat with me as well and told me just to get myself, get my shit together. I, so, bet, I bet there's been um, a few in the rookies, because you're obviously working with oh, kids who are so on the cusp of Grand Prix racing, yeah. and, and you know, they're 13, 14, 15 or whatever, but I've seen some pushy parents around there. <laughs> Ah, well, it's the rookies. I mean, it is 
is their ticket to stardom if it goes well, and it's like X Factor. And so they've got 24 parents there, normally 24 dads that are helping their kids. And, and yeah, it, I mean, it's quite interesting to look from the outside. And I know what they're going through, and I, I feel for them, but it sometimes can be quite amusing or upsetting or whatever. But um, they also, the rookies' crew keep their eye on the parents as well, and they're there to, to help them and try and keep them calm. And certainly they build discipline if they have to. Uh, discipline the dads but it is uh, yeah it's a hotbed of parent son or daughter emotion in there it's uh, quite have you seen it kick off there Neil (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know you know back in the day um, uh, Brad Binder's dad Trevor Binder who's is a good friend he was one of the worst I mean no way yeah Brad was there first and uh, Trevor had a lot of run-ins with the rookies staff Um, but I mean, even to occasions where they, they could easily have asked them maybe not to come back, but he uh, they could see that Brad was going to be good. They liked Trevor. We liked Trevor. And then, so Brad did his thing, and Trevor was definitely quite stressed throughout Brad's time in the rookies. But when Darren came along, I remember, because the, the timing was the same as Taylor and Taron. Taylor was there when Brad was there, and Taron was there when Darren Binder came along. And the, the first test of the year, because I was there helping Taryn, Trevor said, I'm a different person now. I'm not going to be like I was with Brad. I'm going to be completely different with Dazza, uh, which he was. And he enjoyed the journey rather than getting stressed all the time and trying to fiddle the bike when he shouldn't have been fiddling with it and shouting because he didn't have a bike that was good as the others. And he, he took it all in chin and he was great with Darren. So he, I'm really pleased he enjoyed these two years that Dazza was in the rookies. But... Trevor, Trevor Brinder was one of the worst because he, he believed in his kids, rightly so. And uh, and he was there to make sure they went on to bigger things. So uh, it got fraught on occasions, but he got through it all. It's funny, isn't and it? I, 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 I've asked you this question before, but it'd be nice for people at home to hear. So you've been you've been working with the rookies since day one, haven't you? Pretty much, yeah, 10, 10, 10 years, but yeah. Four years also with my two lads, so I've been in there a lot of years since 2009. Yeah. T- t- tell us, because you've worked with them, who's been the star, the one standout rider where you go? I'll tell you what, when I saw this 13 year old kid, um, Chan on Chu, credit right, Chan yeah. on Chu, uh, yeah, well, Andy's brother Dennis, but Dennis's first year, he's so so tiny, he was like 35 kilos or something, so he's too small, but he obviously had some talent. But Chan on Chu was like first year was stand out and well we see his career hasn't gone the perfect path but but a lot a lot of stood out brad binder wasn't particularly mm. stand out but he obviously was consistent and and he went on to great things but um there's been a few hard game martin was was good solid had a good solid work ethic, didn't stand out, but he obviously gone on to great things. Juan Mir as well wasn't a standout kid in the rookies, but he was good and you could see he had potential. Um, and really, that's what they're looking for. You don't have to win the championship to be guaranteed success. If you're looking a bit special, even if you're sort of in the top five every weekend, um, the, 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 the people that know and important people in Paddock will pick up on that. Um, it, it's one for you, Challenger, here's one for you then. You probably want me to answer this. Has anyone, because you, you're involved in the selection uh, stage of it as well, has anyone ever done the famous brown envelope? 
no, I've never asked you this, by the way. I'm not heavily involved in the selection process, but I, I, I kind of I, I, I have a look at who's there, and then, but I, I don't have any influence at all. Um, uh, and, and no, didn't stop but, you getting uh, that nice fancy car, though, did it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've never really, asked you that before. Yeah. Um, they, no, it's not really. And you can tell if, if there's half a dozen Brits in it, then it might be a bit suspicious. But there's only ever one or two Brits every <laughs> are, year. Are there, there going to be any? Because we were talking about this with Cal. And he's talking about the talent yeah. cup and and trying. We need someone to do that so they can go on to the rookies, you know. So yeah. where 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 are we at there? Because there have been out throughout the years, riders have the gone well in the Scott rookies. Ogden, uh, Scott Ogden's yeah. the one who's yeah. obviously won the talent yeah. cup. But I, you know, when I look back and I see yeah. Danny Kent, obviously did he did all right? He did yeah. quite well, didn't he? Was I think it was him and Sissy around the time, and Brad Ray yeah. did well, didn't he? I remember when he was yeah. in it back in the day, and uh, obviously he's doing uh, okay now in British Superbike, yeah. doing well in in some places. But, but yeah, but Scott Ogden I mean, is the only one. Yeah, there's there's a lot of gone in different have got successful career paths, and not necessarily in in Moto Three or or Moto GP. Um, but yeah, it's it's very difficult. I, sometimes riders that are accepted at the selection event and get in there, they think oh, I've arrived, that's it, and it's just a case of coasting to Boti GP glory but really that's when the hard work starts and even even if they win the championship or they finish in the top two or three it's it's still a big step to Boti 3 as we've seen with Chan on Chu Chan was the, dominating what, what was the opinion yeah. of Rory Skinner then who because he I remember he came in and then he obviously went yeah. back and when I thought when I'd seen him in British talent uh, in the rookies he looked like he'd impressed yeah. on occasion yeah, it was a series of events with Rory. He had three years in the Rookies Cup, and yeah, he's making good progress, and he come on strong. Um, he's, last year, he won the first race at Jerez, and then he got taken out in the second race, and sometimes that can just kind of knock things a little bit, and he lost his way a little bit his, in his last year when it was looking like that could be his big chance. He'll get three years maximum in the Cup, so that was his third year. Mm. And then he just lost his way a little bit, whether it was with bike setup or not feeling it or lack of confidence. And then so that that kind of finished his chances mm. of jumping into a Moto3 team. Otherwise, if he had gone on to finish in the top two or three or be winning a lot of races that year, it would have been a, a great chance for him. But then, again, his, he's, he's taken a different career path and, and things are kind of working out for him in the BSB paddock but it, it's there's no guarantees uh, and that's that's a fatal mistake a lot of them make when they get accepted yeah. and they start doing the, they're in there for a year or they get asked back for a second year you can never stop working hard doing whatever you can um, and it's also difficult because some of the parents uh, families they don't have they don't do any other racing they don't have the funding or the finance to do that and unless you're backing it up with a national championship or or maybe the junior world championship, it's 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 very difficult when there's ten kids that are doing that and getting track time and getting race experience. So um, it is it is a is a tricky one. But I think anyone, if they're determined enough, then they'll they'll find a way. Look at Joe Roberts; he's had a couple of uh, quiet seasons. He was a, a rookie Scott rider, and now he's come good and could go on to be the next big American thing. So um, it's a it's it's great great breeding ground and a, a great place to learn your trade, even if you don't come out of it with a, a multi multi V contract. 
Yeah, it is it's a, a long journey. Isn't it, it is, and it's the reality. It's long, it's, it's, long yeah. But yeah, it's it's yeah. being around those kinds of people though that make things happen, isn't it? That's how I think of it. You know, it's yeah. like being around fast people makes you faster. It's one of those. Oh, yeah. It's one yeah, of those things of yeah. rules of all time, isn't it? Um, obviously, um, you nowadays. Uh, I see you and Neil most of all. Uh, doing stupid things in your garden for your uh, insurance company, and uh, yeah. <laughs> you two, you two, and um, putting all the insurance thing together. Uh, you're having to work with Neil Hodgson at close quarters now. Obviously, you know you were teammates back in the day, and I get to work with him now. It's an, it's hard, isn't it? It's a nightmare. Yeah, well, we we share them, and that's that's what's what's good. We don't have to be twenty four seven. Yeah, thank God. Have. Yeah. So yeah, it's too much. Yeah, and and in the world of racing, there is a bit of downtime. So Neil and I like to be busy. So we yeah thought we'd fill in our days with doing something a little bit different. So that's where the Mackenzie Hodgson thing came from. You love it. You both love it though, don't you? You love getting your leathers on. <laughs> I tell you what, it's not a get rich quick scheme, and it's not even a get rich slow scheme. <laughs> <laughs> we do work hard. We do that thing in the garden, and we talk. And, and, think about and it I've seen day. you at the bike shows as well. Yeah, I, I, but uh, there is no, there is no big retirement pot. Uh, I, I tell you what, who's the best salesman? I've, I'm, right, Hodge always claims he's not right. a salesman. Right, again, again, but every time I see him, oh my god, he could talk the hind legs off a donkey. Right. Well, it depends on the gender. It depends on the gender. <laughs> if, it, if it's a nice female biker, then he's obviously got the looks and the charm. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't know how, but he, he can kind of that's he, just undoes the top button of his that. shirt. And my 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 customer's more a middle aged biker, forties, fifties, with some classic two strokes in the garage because we're good at multi bike policies. I'm I'm really good with the old boys <laughs> that uh, like plodding around on their old bikes. So we have. Different areas of the market to attract. To to Matt, they just, you know, you play to your strengths. It's funny because we do do all the bike shows and we absolutely love it. We're on our stand and people come up to us and go, "Oh my God, how long have you been here for? You here like for like ten ten days at the NEC?" And I think because for me and Neil, this is our baby. You know, after racing, we've both got plenty of things we're doing with TV and you know we've got other like streams of work. But once we, when we started this, because we're both, both competitive, we wanted it to be right. We wanted it to be good. We wanted it so that we, we created something that we're proud of, really, didn't we, Neil? Yeah. So we stood there on our stand, bloody proud, and trying to spread the word of a new company. He's gone again, Neil. He's gone again. He's gone again. <laughs> He's gone. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true, though, isn't no, it? No, I know it's true. I'm, I'm only taking the mick out of you. Yeah, yeah. As you know, I do, because you always claim you're not a salesman, and then you've always got some great uh, things where you go, hey, listen, that's Gav, fair enough. We, it's fair we, enough. We, we, let me just tell you, we've been going just three years. We, we already insure thousands of people, and the beauty of it, if you come with us, because we've got so many contacts in the industry, we get mates rates discounts on on stuff we pass that down to our customers and that's what makes us a bit different so who knows maybe in the future people will get discounts on kex underpants there you go <laughs> neil you won't even know what that means we need to I talk about that neil we need to talk about I that yeah, I know. I yeah well we all go there mates rates are me it's pricked up 
Mike's right. We, no, no hard sales pitch for me, but we are two guys out there. We're, we're there 24-7, and it, it's their company, and, and track us down if you want us to look after you, because we will. And if you are with us, we're, we're there to be to, to look after. So. Cheers. Who was that? Who was that? I was in a cup of tea. Was that, was that you, Neil? Well, no, yeah, tell me neither of you. Um, it was uh, it, it was Neil having a glass of white wine. <laughs> having a Bacardi. Hey, I've got to somewhere. I've got to ask you, Neil. I've always wondered this because obviously you got your three British uh, Superbike Championships when you came back after Grand Prix, uh, yeah. and you went back and showed what you were capable of and showed your class. And if if there was ever any doubt of it, but I just wonder, uh, in terms of your years, what you're proudest of, or and, and I'm sure you're going to be proud of all your careers. You sh- rightly should be as well. But which do you look back on more fondly at? Is that uh, is that a, a fairer comment? Yeah, yeah. There's some years you're proud, and other years are just it's just sheer enjoyment, and then other years it's it's hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, they're all, they're all good for different reasons, I guess. You know, one of my my proudest years was in 1993. I had sort of ended up with no factory deal for 1993 and uh, um, an American businessman, Bob McLean, put a team together mm. WCM Motorsports and we re-ran a private Valvoline-sponsored rock Yamaha in the 500 World Championship and it was just a, a nice challenge great guys around me, a small kind of family effort, we finished ninth in the championship including that podium at Donington and that, that was a really that, yeah, I was proud of that year and worked hard and we all worked hard and got on and there was no real real glitches so it was that was probably my my nicest year uh, and his work his worst year was riding with me in 2000 tell tell everyone the colin wright story which one which one i'm just what i was about to say oh that one neil right. yeah neil the so um well, uh, you're retiring yeah. then yeah um yeah Neil and I were, Colin Wright was the team manager, Daryl Healy's team, GSE, INS, Ducati team in 2000. And, well, start start of the season, Neil in testing in the first couple of races was just a little bit quicker than me. And I kind of twigged then that maybe, I was 39 years old, maybe this was the year that I needed to, to hang my boots up. But anyway, Colin Wright had ideas to do it a bit sooner rather than later. And after the second round, which was Thruxton, I had a fairly performed fairly average and uh, Colin's famous for his meetings he said I need a meeting Tuesday Coventry and I had never been to a meeting before so I so all right so I, I wasn't living far away at the time went to see him no clue what it was about I know I had an average weekend but I intended to put it right wherever we were going next and um, so walked in his office sat down and Colin says right Oh, yeah, next meeting, Snetterton. Uh, I think we should go to Snetterton. We'll keep the hospitality unit there Sunday night, have a big party, and announce your retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine this? And uh, I, I said, you what? He says, that's the trouble with you. Um, no, I said, um, just as well I'm sitting down, Colin, otherwise they fell in the floor. He said, <laughs> well, that's the trouble with you. I never know what you're thinking. Uh, I think you need to retire. It's all over, isn't it? And I, and maybe it was a little bit of reverse psychology or whatever he was doing. I said, "Well, no, I'm not retiring at Snetterton. There's no need to keep the truck there on Sunday night because I'm going to see the season out." And uh, so, with a cup of tea, and I went home, and that was it. And then it it got obviously didn't win the championship, but it got better as the season went on. And about a couple of races 
further in, he said, forget that meeting. I'm happy now. You're doing what you're supposed to do and everything's OK. Yeah, so he changed Brilliant. my mind. He didn't want me to retire. And, uh, and How good's that, okay. and, and to be fair to Daryl Healy and Colin, they, and Neil won the championship at Donington. Big party at the Priest House for my retirement and Neil's championship. And we ended the season, everybody friends and, and happy. But I must admit, after the second round, it was a little bit of surprise <laughs> that I was going to announce my retirement. I hadn't even thought about it. Super. Neil's like, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I'm just jumping on a Ducati. I'm just trying to get used to this big V20. It feels a bit different. It's going to take a bit to get my head around. I'm not bloody retired. Yeah, Can you yeah. imagine it? Brilliant. Like, I'll Brilliant. make that decision. Yeah. But i got to say, Colin, right, we probably old dog and new tricks didn't really work for us, um, although we were, were friends then and are still friends. But he did a great job with young riders, Neil Hodgson, James Tosland, um, Leon Haslam took them to great things so can't can't knock his uh, whatever his management skills are but he's uh, certainly a little bit different that is so funny how good's that though it's a good story isn't it yeah <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have preferred it though if you'd have tried the accent because uh, I mean I'm enjoying Neil uh, Hodgson's well, accents more than anything there's a lot of bleeps involved it would have been the ultimate right we're going to fucking announce your fucking <laughs> retirement yeah. like Oh, all right. Um, you can see you can see him there, Neil, sitting back in his seat. I can see it. I, I had that. What happened with me is the year before, I was new to the team, and he honestly, we we fell out so many times. I had that many meetings with him, and they'd go on for two hours. And actually, like Neil said, it worked for me though, because. He was yeah. trying to straighten me out. He could see yeah. what I was doing wrong, but I was stubborn yeah. and I, I didn't yeah. know I was wrong. So I was like, no, no, I believe this. So, yeah, God, we had plenty of plenty of meetings. Very funny. Looking back, it's funny. Weren't at the time. Yeah. Meetings. Meetings about meetings. Yeah. I told you that time when, what, in uh, 2001, the season had just started. What happened was the winter of 2001, they did a test at Kyle Army and Dunlop turned up with some new qualifiers and we'd like, I think I had three qualifiers to test. And by the time I put the last one in, I was that quick because the qualifiers was good. And I ended up finishing the test the fastest. Fast forward then the start of the seasons at Kyle Army. I don't know if it was the first or second round. And I finished something like fifth and a fourth. And after the race, that was Colin went, right, we, everyone's waiting to go home. And he's like, I'm having a meeting with you. So I had to, I had to sit in this meeting. And basically he said, when, when, obviously, we're not happy with your performances and we're going to cut the money you're being paid because the boss, Daryl Healy, thinks we're paying you too much if you're going to ride like that, basically. Oh, but my that, God. That, that meeting went on for like about an hour and it was just, I was just getting bollocked for an hour. It wasn't good. JT was stood outside because he was laughing afterwards going, <laughs> JT's going, what were we saying? What was he saying? I came out bright red and angry, you know what I mean? Because it was one of them, actually, I rode okay. I didn't ride bad. It was just... It had flat. It looked. I'd flattened myself testing because we'd used all these qualifiers. But <laughs> so yeah. So we both felt the experience of uh, being on the on the shitty end of the stick with a Colin yeah, Wright meeting. Colin, yeah. But it motivated me. So there you go. So are, are we ready for the quick fire round, Gav? I was about to say, of yeah. um, yeah, have you brought your jingle to the party? Uh, yeah, get ready. I have. I've been. I've right, been practicing this jingle for like. Last get ready. Two seconds. Hang on. The jingles. 
Yeah, that's my pen in the cup next to the... Uh, I'm, in, I'm in the office. I'm sat on my bed. Classic. Um, Classic. Right, Neil, you've listened to some of these podcasts before, haven't you? Yeah. It's a quick, it's a quick fire, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, obviously, it's a bit... He sounded hammered by it. He sounds so excited. <laughs> you know, God, here we go. Right, Neil, we've already established that you're a big drinker. <clears throat> Not. Um, you know, out of the choice of half a lager and lime, a glass of white wine... Bacardi and Coke and a Bailey's, what do you go for? Bacardi and Coke. Yeah. Straight in. I'm not even hesitating. Straight in. Who was your, growing up, who was your biking hero? Kenny Roberts. Kenny Roberts. Um, As a kid, what pulser did you have on your wall in your bedroom? Blue Pierre, Valerie Singleton, John Noakes and Peter Purvis. (laughs) And Petra. Who? And and Shep Shep the dog. Petra. Was one dog, oh, that was the other, right, okay. and the cat, the cat was a little Siamese cat, I don't Brilliant. know what it was called. Who are Brilliant. these? Who are these people we are talking about? Blue Peter. Oh, Blue Peter, all right, okay. <laughs> Did you ever write up to Blue Peter? Did I write? I wrote, I wrote in for a poster and they sent me a poster, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quite, a serious, quite a serious question coming up. Who's your favourite son? <laughs> 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 was that sent in by Taz? Whoever is the fastest on any given day is the favourite. Good answer. Right, Neil. So, some of the questions are a bit more technical. So, you, you've invited me and Vic, obviously my girlfriend, to come round for something yeah. to eat. Yeah. You're cooking. Yeah. What are you? What's the three-course meal you're cooking me and Vic? Right. You'll get um, parma ham and melon. For... Oh, classic. Old school. Yeah. No, no cooking involved. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Penny Arabiata for oh. the main course. Bloody good Italian area. Solid, solid. Yeah. I, I scream to finish. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, and pudding, where would I go with my puddings? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, it would be a eating mess. <laughs> so basically, so palm hammer melon zero cooking. You're gonna boil yeah. some pasta and put some penny arubiata sauce on, yeah. and then you're just gonna make a right mess of a pudding and call it an eating mess. Eating, yeah. Well, it'll be the presentation. Yeah, I'm seeing the presentation, and it's not. It's nice. It's okay. Nice. <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. Right. right. Last last question. I need to know. You've had a lot of. Good teammates, nice teammates. Who's your favourite teammate? Stro- stroke, BT pundit slash business, business partner. <laughs> you might have to think about this one. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know if you can answer that one. No, who has? All right, I, can I switch it though? Who has been your favourite teammate? <laughs> James Whitson. He yeah. always says this, and it always makes do you know what I always say, Gav? Go on. Neil, Mc- Neil McKenzie. <laughs> Wait a sec. When JT He's was here, big. you said it was JT. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. I'm, I'm shallow. You know what I'm like. You know what I'm like. Nothing changes. Um, Superb. So, Neil, I just uh, just sort of what are you up to now these days while we're all locked indoors and, uh, right. you know, you've got your garden. What, what have you got well, on? Yeah, my um, lawnmower blades have never been sharper. My toolbox has never been tidier. 
And I do a little bit of writing for classic motorcycle mechanics, so I do a little bit of that, but there's not a lot of work going on. Uh, but lots to do around the house. Um, I've kind of finished off my 98 Yamaha R1 restoration. Oh, yeah. I find something to do every week. We tend to... I, I, I like a bit of training as well, so I try and do a couple of little... Maybe a run and a cycle every day, use up my hour... Uh, out of self-isolation um to have a routine monday to friday and then just get hammered on the weekend <laughs> <laughs> and that r1 you've got that's like one of the originals is that yeah, like the, 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 the original classic that yeah that yeah uh, mine's the red and white one the, yeah. the popular one at the time was the blue one they're a lot more kind of uh, kind of popular and sensible the red and white one was a bit garish but that is the collectible one now so it's, i found a nice one in wales a couple of years ago and Managed to restore it. Have you heard him? He's, he, he's so on the sales pitch there, isn't it? Oh, this is the well. This is the, this is the one that's. Is that, yeah. <laughs> hey, Neil, I know you. Everything's for sale at some yes. point. Uh, everything's got its price. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Come on. Um, well, we better let you get back to uh, do some fettling. Right. Sounds good. Yeah, good but, stuff to you guys. Right, it's been great, good. Stuff, great, great work on the weekends. Oh, cheers. I think we've got. Have we got next two thousand and one? Have we got? Have we got another one that's from the the um, Mackenzie era? I think we might have I'm one coming sure. up. I think we might have uh, one coming up. I'm right. not sure I'm off not the top sure. of my head. It's not easy to get all, a lot of the archive because it's all in Spain. So yeah. But yeah, we've been enjoying it. Been enjoying going back, and uh, I particularly enjoyed ninety two. I did. And speaking to the weirdest thing then was speaking to Kevin Schwantz and Wayne Rainey in my attic. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, just, yeah. just bizarre. <laughs> and for people to be watching it at the same time. So, yeah. Bizarre. <laughs> uh, righto. Well, um, can't wait to uh, catch up again soon and, right. and in person, hopefully. Okay. And, uh, take care, guys. You, you take care of yourself and uh, send our best to uh, John and the boys. And uh, okay. we'll, we'll probably speak to them soon enough here, I reckon. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cheers, right. then. Cheers, Neil. Cheers, Mike. Bye. Oh, lovely to speak to, to Neil McKenzie. Neil, he's um, he's just just a thoroughly nice chap, isn't he? <laughs> all the way, I know, all the I know, way through. I know. And I know what he's he's always consistent though. He's always that's you, you can imagine. Obviously, me and you, Gav, spend a lot lot of time together. But me and Neil do. We're mm. going on these. Uh, like road trips around the country trying to promote Mackenzie Hodgson insurance and we've spent hour after hour together in the car and putting the world to rights but it's funny because we're such different personalities but we get on so well I'm like we'll be driving and I'll go oh he's a dick isn't he and 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 Neil I can't think of who like just for example I'll go like someone's a bit of a dick and Neil will go yeah he's, 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 he's all right though isn't he you know it's like Neil just it's like it seems good in everybody, and I'm like, oh, I think he's a bit of a dick, you know. <laughs> I can see that though. I can it's imagine just... it. Yeah, you're quite black and white, and he'll see a shade of grey, which yeah. is uh, it's quite in good. That, though. It's quite a good way, way to compliment things, isn't it? It's quite a good. Uh, that's why you do get on with people, isn't it? Like uh, you're all, um, you know, all the things that you are, I'm not, which is why it works, isn't it? You know, like you're uh, loud, uh, yeah, big ego, that sort of <laughs> thing. Not, not very funny arrogant. and then yeah <laughs> and, and and then there's you where do we start Gav exactly <laughs> <laughs>
Blooming heck. Um, yeah, and I, I love hearing... The, the fact is that he was in the era of some greats and he mentions the names. It's like, oh, yeah, like this. And they're all going out and having a drink in the motorhomes at the end. And, and that has changed, definitely, that era of racing uh, in terms of the, the bonhomie, the atmosphere there was in the paddock. It's a lot safer now. There's a lot of good things now. There were a lot of great things then as well. And, and you can, almost can't compare eras, can you? No, you can't compare eras. But I think the era to racing, that had been a nice era to racing because of the social side afterwards. I think I was lucky because there was still socialising after races in then, like then, you know, after Neil retired, then that, that next sort of five or six years. But like you said, no, this still the odd party goes on at MotoGP, but it's pretty rare. And you certainly wouldn't get a motorhome with like six riders in it during the season, all pissed, having a, you know, having a bit of a laugh talking about the race. That just wouldn't happen now, maybe, would it? Maybe and, Jack Miller's. And, and actually, Jack Miller's might be the only one. Yeah, there'd be Jack and Cal, but who else would be in there? Yeah, uh, maybe a couple. You know of what I mean? In there, but yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah, Darren Binder, he'd be in there. Maybe I don't know. If, you know, I don't know who, but you know what I mean. It's like so. Yeah, but but you you touched on something there. Safety, you know, back then in the late eighties, certainly early nineties, racing five hundred GP bikes on tracks with not not a lot of runoff. Bloody hell, that uh, certainly gets my respect. Tough yeah. times, weren't they? And and now I, that's why I was saying I, I feel for Jan, who's been through it once with with Neil, and then has to go through it again with the kids. You know, I know. And just it having is... no control over that situation. And it's ne- it's never ending because you know because they're still both relatively young lads. <laughs> They've got another ten years left of their career. Poor Jan, you know, li- literally. I think for any partner of a racer, goes through a lot, you know, and they deal with it. But then to Literally, as Jan has come out the other end, Neil retires, life should be good now. Then it literally, not long after, just all started again. And yeah. They're already 10 years in to both kids, aren't they? You know, to Taz and Taylor have been at it a long time now. But like I said, they've got another 10 years left easy of their careers. So, yeah, it's bloody hard. It is hard. Uh, yeah, so uh, thanks uh, again to Neil for, for joining us today. Um, we've got, uh, as I say, some more guests coming up very soon indeed. What have you got lined up for the rest of the day, the rest of the uh, the week, before we go back to Greatest Years at the weekend? Not much. Um, it's now it's Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to go out and go for a run. I'm trying to get up to 5Ks. I know that might sound pretty poor because I look after myself, but I'm a, I can't run because I've got a dodgy knee, but I've been building up. So All right, I'm okay. going to try and... I'm, I'm going to try and do about a four and a half K. I know it's not much in it, but I've, I've been really taking it step by step. You've yeah. been doing loads of running, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, are, you, are you where you're at now? Are you at five Ks? Ten. Shut. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Well, here we go. Nine and a half the other day and nine and a half the day before that. Because. Oh, right. Let's be honest now. Yeah. When I've been doing my, like, I've been running up to four Ks, I'm, I am, it's a steady jog because of my knee, mm. right? And it, that's been taking me about half an hour. Yeah. Which so, is horrendous. Where, where are you at with no, 10 that's, Ks? No, that's where I am. It's an hour for 10 K. Yeah. So that's right. that's all right. I'll take that. I know some oh people are so much faster than all that. But for me, <clears throat> you know, it's been decent. So, yeah, but I had stopped because of my Achilles. So, but uh, I am enjoying it. I'm enjoying it because we're allowed out once. I sort of, I want to make the most of going out, but uh, that's all set to change. We're allowed to go out a couple of times now. So, 
but you're a big lad as well, and I don't mean that I'm not taking the pace, but you you are you know you're big boned, aren't you? You've got massive legs. You know, it's all in the legs, as you well know. Most of it, <laughs> most of it's in the calves. Yeah, your, yours though, your body's just your body mass is just built up of bitter, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Just just, just like a barrel. Just, oh, That's why I always ale. say everyone just, else has a six pack. I've got a barrel. Yeah, <laughs> I'm impressed you've done ten k's though. I am impressed. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm quite done. I'm, in fact, because we've had this conversation, it just fired me up. I'm, I'm going to go straight out. I'm going to run five k's. There you go. There you are. Do it. There you go. Let's there you go. What here? Send right? it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, righto. Um, yeah, I will uh, speak to you very soon indeed. Um, I hope this will be out before the weekend. We've got greatest years on BT coming uh, on Sunday, 2001. Back to Rossi's first year. My first year in the paddock. Uh, oh, I can't well. wait for that. So, so I'm really looking forward to, to that. Uh, it will take me back, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, that's the come on Sunday. And the 500s again. I'm with Rossi on him, so it's entertaining. Um, and it was a good year. Scrap between him and Biaggi. Well. Exactly. Barcelona. Compete- and also the elbow at Suzuka. Yeah, coming on to the start and finish straight. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'm analysing that on my screen. So All right, excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, righto. Well, uh, we will see each other then. Um, as for everyone at home, thanks again for listening. We do appreciate it. We really do appreciate it. And we, we've had so many lovely comments. We're not going to come on air and, you know, and say, oh, John from Derby said this or whatever. But we do appreciate them. And uh, we, we're not. And we do read them. We do and read it, them. It we do. Uh, and all nice the, the nasty Genuinely. comments, we, we ignore them. So, <laughs> no, but we do have taken stuff on board like sound levels. We try, we're trying our best. It is just me and Neil, two technophobes, sticking a mic in front of each other and levels and all that. We do what we can. Um, Neil's got no internet there, so it's, it's, no, it's really, it's really hard to get anything done. But um, yeah, we just appreciate it, and we're doing this for fun. You know, we, we laugh about sponsors and that sort of thing. It's just a bit of uh, chat that we always have. Uh, between myself and Neil we're just doing it for a bit of fun and hopefully um, with the lockdown easing a little bit here that it's less than some of the load and we will keep it going we will keep it going there's a lot of people we want to speak to too so if you've got any ideas on those you know then uh, we'll try and get them across them the likes of Stalker and uh, Jim Whit they Jimmy Whit come up more than any I think so they'll be we'll be speaking to them very soon I'm sure absolutely Gav yes I love you man love you so much Right, we better go. I'll uh, speak to you later. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.